safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Steve from the Lost in Translation podcast. Um, I'm here. We're actually without Travis. Travis uh, had some family things come up, so I'm here with Sean and Sean. How's it going, boys? What's up, it's Sean. What's up, it's other Sean. <laughs> uh, we're uh, we have a return guest on the uh, on the pod today, James Bourne. We know uh, we know and love James Bourne. So, James, how are you doing, buddy? Do good. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. That's very kind of you. Yeah, of course. We, uh, we Sean and I really enjoyed our first conversation, and I I walked away with uh, even more respect for you than than I than I came into it, and I've I've always respected you. So I'm happy to have you on. Plus, you got so yeah, many you got so many brands to talk about. I have a feeling that you're, yeah. you're going to be like a regular every couple months uh, <laughs> guest for us. And regular we also learned that you're you're mastered in this in the science of being a gentleman last time we had you on too so right. we figure us nincompoops Dabble. could probably hurt or uh, learn a little little something yeah. from you. <laughs> so are we going to talk about um, the spin-off pod about just ranting about Billy Walker? Is that the theme today? We're, we're know, still. I had I had more comments about that podcast come in than any other <laughs> podcast we've ever launched. We're running focus groups right now to see if it's a viable option for for a spinoff. But yeah. and it's funny because like all these guys that I talk to fairly frequently on Instagram and stuff, they're all just like, I didn't really know you felt that passionately. I was like, I really wanted to get Billy to film a, a version of that Family Guy video where he says, "Who hurt you, Sean?" <laughs> Who hurt you, Sean Kincaid? Oh my God, that would have been the best thing ever. Yeah, that would have been another amazing, time. Yeah. yeah, if we if we As actually ask the question, Alecky. yeah, <laughs> just a rebuttal. Here all night. <laughs> yeah, Sean Sean would probably need an hour or twenty four hours to go over everybody that's hurt him. He's a, <laughs> he's a sensitive soul. <laughs> Billy Walker's probably not even near the top, and look how passionate he is about. <laughs> talking shit about that guy so uh, anyways today yes. today we are going to talk about compass box which let's do it kind of, yeah we, we alluded to it last podcast that it was going to be probably the next subject that we chose with you and Com- compass box is a is well like we said before we started recording here right it's it's this like big beautiful bold brand with all this transparency but yet so much mystery behind it and i feel like it's it's kind of like it even i don't know i even find when i when i drink what i've got in my collection even though i've i've had everything before it's still like i feel like every time i drink a compass box i'm always i don't know i feel like i'm always wondering or or figuring out something new about it or it's it's, it's weird... remarkable how they've managed to stay relevant and kind of yeah. mysterious and intriguing, like right yeah. through their history, because it doesn't usually work that way. Like usually was... there's more of a trajectory of a brand like this, but they've, they've kind of defied the odds a little bit in that, in that regard. I was just going to say like, if compass box were to come out in 2022, would they be where they are now? Like would they, would they've seen the same trajectory? And part of me, I don't know, like, the, obviously the early releases that they had were fantastic so that will bring people in 
And I think the fact that they release things at every single price point for every single type of drinker, you know, seasoned rookie, you know, so they've definitely nailed how to release whiskey. And like you said, they have super, super transparency, but still that air of mystery about them. And yeah, yeah. How, it's, it's, I don't think anybody else, they try and do it. Other brands try and do it. <laughs> and you see through the gimmicks instantly. Nobody can pull and them off. No, pull off. they invoke every type of whiskey drinker to experience every type of emotion too. Like, you know, working with it now for 10 years, I've seen every reaction imaginable to come Spox. Like mm-hmm. people that despise it, people that don't get it, people that are almost offended by what they're doing. Other people that worship them to almost unhealthy degree. It, it's, it's really strange how there's a spectrum and it's been consistent that way. Um, you know, over the years, there's, you know, they've really, I guess they, if you think about it, they really kind of adhere to kind of a list of principles that aren't impossible to adhere to. You know, when, when they sold part of the company to Bacardi, I think there was kind of a mood of, okay, this is the moment where things change. But now if you look at the last year or two, like the release schedule is pretty similar to what it would have been 10 years ago. Like the quantities are similar, the, the kind of like the creativity levels are at similar levels. Like nothing's changed. It's amazing. No, and like, I don't know, when, when you think of Compass Box, they've really set the bar when it comes to transparency, like we say. And it's, it's funny because I, I, as I've kind of learned to, to love Compass Box and as Compass Box has kind of stepped farther into the, into the industry, you've really, like, you've noticed that other brands and distilleries, the reluctancy to show transparency is softening like it's softening yes. and the wall the walls are breaking and i i believe you can tie that directly to to john glazer's mandate and he I, yeah. like I, I think he saw a deficient side of the industry and was like screw this i'm busting these walls down here i come right yeah i think it's important to recognize that like john came from the wine business and like in the wine business especially, you know, if you get into the technical side of things, like you have every bit of information at your disposal. Like you can find out what soil the grapes were grown in, like what temperature, like all that information is on tap. And, you know, even the laws themselves in wine kind of stem from like the ground up, right? Like it's all about where the grapes are grown. It's, you know, it's all about terroir and regionality. So I think John was just wired that way. And of course, whiskey is wired the complete opposite. It's like all from the top down where like the categories were created, but from a marketing perspective and like there was no interest in like, where do the ingredients come from? It was all just spinning a story right from day one. So I think for John, like he just thought the opposite way right from the beginning. When I figured they're just like, I just picture them having a, a war room right? Where they're all sitting yeah. around this table with ideas on the walls. And then behind them is like every type of drinker. And it's like, how do we create something that's going to mind fuck that drinker? And then, and then, yeah, and then totally sit that drinker on his ass and then impress him so much that he becomes this crazy collector. And it's like, they, they're just, they're, they're tr- like, they're, I just feel like they're thinking of it all and they're yes. trying to reach everybody and they're yes. and kudos because there's not a lot of brands that 
can pull off what they've been capable of. No, if, if you follow all the releases, they're not all targeted at the same drinker at all. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Like, there's not a theme. If you were trying to say, like, this is a compass box whiskey, I sometimes, when I do presentations, I try to, like, kind of reduce things down to, you know, at the end of the day, compass box makes these kind of drinkable, you know, well-balanced, interesting whiskeys. But, like, you, you kind of have to stretch the, the definition a little bit to make everything fit that because it really is all over the place well and for me like they have that you know that one side to it like we were just saying where you know let's be transparent let's release stuff for every style of drinker but then they've also mastered the the art of the story with a lot of their releases as well and like with obviously working with the companies that design the labels and stuff like they have some of the best labels in the game oh, and yeah. then the stories that the, that come with it it's not hokey no. you know what i mean like it could it could have turned hokey and you know uncool easily but they managed to toe that line and you know never fall to the, to yeah. the wrong side of it well, which is we know how awful. you feel about hokey stories sean yeah Exactly. <laughs> yeah, do you guys know the story of the labels? Do you guys know the Stranger um, and Stranger story? Well, I was actually, I, I love, love how we literally just jumped into this podcast and it's almost like we're in at like 30 minutes. I know. <laughs> we're like right in the middle of it right away. Um, we have to assume that probably a lot of people listening yeah, have at least dabbled the toe into the water. But I know, I do know of some like some drinkers that are early in their journey that probably don't. Yeah, so sure. I, I did want to ask you to kind of, yeah, let's like, get the Coles notes. Yeah. Let's get the Coles mm-hmm. note. Like it, it approach us. Like we are new drinkers in a tasting. I'm curious yeah. what you're like opening well, pitches, even though I've heard it before, but I would like and to tell hear. us the kitchen sink story for sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, I, I mean, I've gone through this process a lot because, you know, in the early days selling compass box, I quickly learned that, um, you know, if you're at a table and you're pouring compass box samples, some people kind of look at the table and kind of walk by with disdain. Thankfully that's a thing of the past, but, um, yeah, you kind of get used to really having to sell this and massage it. And, and sometimes I feel like those of us that have worked for compass box have almost like chipped away every single drinker, like person by person over the last 15, 20 years. Like, like that's actually what we've had to do. Just wear so, him down. Wear him down, honestly. So, yeah, basically how the story starts is uh, you have John Glazer, as we mentioned. So he was originally American. Um, he was in Minnesota. His parents were in the wine business, so that was where he came from. But he ended up um, in the business as well, but not on the wine side. So he ended up working for Diageo, which, of course, owns Johnny Walker. And he got into the marketing department at Johnny Walker and actually moved to London and was working for them there. And he had this big idea because he's kind of an ideas guy as we're going to see that, uh, that he could kind of do something unique in the blending space. And, you know, he had this benefit. He actually would be able to go into the blending labs with Jim Beveridge and, you know, he kind of developed these skills and, you know, have this, this backdoor access to everything going on, um, at Johnny Walker. So his idea was, you know, that there was room for creative space. You know, he would try these really old grain whiskeys in the lab and realize like no one gets to taste this kind of stuff. And, you know, we're sticking to our formulas here, but there's his mind really realized like there's so much room for expansion and creativity out there and nobody's doing it. And this can be our thing. And uh, basically how I understand it is that he pitched that 
um, to sort of his higher ups. And they told him like, that's not our vision. That's not Johnny Walker. And, and he had the very kind of bold, <laughs> yeah, the, he just went on his own. He literally started Compass Box in his kitchen. And he decided, I'm going to, I'm going to source casks. You know, I've got all these friends now at, at, at uh, Diageo that can get me casks and uh, I'm going to go out and make whiskey. And actually the first whiskey he made was the hedonism, which is, you know, a blend of sort of, sort of, you know, 18 to 25 year old grain whiskeys and nothing like that had ever been made before. And, you know, he was, he put a bottle in his, in his backpack and started going bar to bar in London and, you know, the, all of his friends kind of said, you're doing what? And they tasted the whiskey and said, wow, this is incredible stuff. But, uh, you know, I think, I think the company kind of evolved over time, but you know, he was always right from, right from the get go doing things that were creative and doing things that inspired him. And, uh, yeah. So that, that's kind of how things got started. That would have been in 2000. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, he timed it well because I think, you know, we tend to focus more, I think, especially, you know, here in Alberta or Canada on a lot of the special releases. And that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. But really, I think Compass Box's roots is more as a bar brand. I know it sounds weird, but it really is true. I mean, all the, the bar scene in New York and London, John was so tied into that. Yeah. And all the early success they had was with things, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like the original Pea Monster was essentially created to make the first uh, penicillin cocktail. Mm-hmm. Like if making a true penicillin, it should have peat monster in it. Was that is no. that actually true? Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Oh, crazy! I don't, I don't think the one thing is that's funny that no, it's kind of been appropriated <laughs> by a few other brands. Now. <laughs> Are you bullshitting me? Is this yeah? That's better. Um, it's funny you say that though, because as like as I find myself kind of connecting with with some brands in the UK, um, when they put when they put forth one of their blended products it's always like when they say what is this going to compare against in your market and because in their market it's we need this to compete against glasgow blend or peat monster or oak cross or right like a spice tree and it's a lot of them actually use compass boxes kind of lower priced blends as like the mark and kind of it sets the standard for we need to be as good as that and offer something as good as that so he's clear like he's he's clearly put his mark in in the in like that scene over in the uk more than anywhere for sure and something to keep in mind and you're probably experiencing a bit of this now that you're in the import side if you work in the business in a big center like new york or london Mm-hmm. It's actually much more about the bar scene. And, and actually, that's where the volume of sales is. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're in Edmonton, as, as great as the bar, like the bar scene is amazing in Edmonton. And of course, you know, just churned out a world-class winner. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's it's a bit more of a niche. Like, that's not where you're driving. You know, it's not like your plan with Woody Creek was like, let's get in every bar and we're going to succeed that way. Like, that's kind of more of a French <laughs> <No>. thing. <laughs> yeah. The on-premise stuff is, yeah, it's not, uh, that's yeah. not driving sales for sure. No, but it definitely, so for Compass Box, that's, you know, traditionally been kind of really the core of their business. Now, of course it took on a life of its own. I think kind of the big moment when things kind of went to another place was when they released Spice Tree. And of course, Spice Tree got banned because they, the technique they used, mm-hmm. you know, John wanted to get like, the 
French oak flavors into whiskey because, you know, almost all whiskey casks are either American oak or Spanish oak sherry or American oak sherry. But yet the most common type of cask in the world by far is, is French oak cask for wine. So there was kind of, I think, this thought of how do we add that to the mix while avoiding the pitfalls that normally wine cask maturation can do, right? Where, you know, the grain is too tight and whatever, the laundry list of problems that you can, you can have. Yeah, yeah. So his idea was to toast these staves and kind of submerge them, and which is fine. So it succeeded, but, you know, they deemed that it was kind of the start of his battles, um, with the SWA, right, where they became mortal enemies. I know, and that's they, and they like, that was the best thing for him, I think, because yeah, he, almost, yeah, he would acknowledge that too. He took that battle on his on his back, and yeah. he was like, "Okay, now 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 we're going to battle over some shit." Like, yes. <laughs> well, he kind of went on a bit of a seven year bender, where really he was just sticking it to them, like yeah, all just the time, to piss them off, and trying to yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he kind of flaunted some of the you know, the rules he was breaking with the releases he was doing. Now, you probably noticed the last five years that that rhetoric is toned down big time. Yeah. Like, it's a bit more subtle. I, I still think it's out there. You know, I think I mentioned in the last pod that Menagerie, to me, definitely seems like a bit of a jab at the industry on a subtle level. But uh, but it's, it's more subtle now. It's, you know, it's not. But maybe, you know, that's what happens with age and experience. And, you know, you eventually put the sword down, right? Yeah, and I, I just think that they've proved themselves as yes. like amazing whiskey makers yeah. and creators and blenders, and to the point where the respect is just overcoming everything yeah, else. Right? They don't seem to have a chip on their shoulder anymore. There, I think there was a period. They're of not time looking where, for fights, right? Like you no. used to look for fights. I don't know if this ever occurred to you guys, but there was a series of, of releases. I remember specifically releases started coming in and we were noticing that the word blend was actually really hard to find on the packaging. Hmm. Like, huh. and I think what, what happened was, I mean, again, I don't know if this was on purpose, but it, but it had to have been, I think they just got tired of the entire narrative being about the B word. And they just said, you know what, we're just going to go away from it. And they started releasing things that weren't even technically whiskey, <laughs> right? Like they released that whiskey that was blended with Calvados. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, then you don't have to put the word blend anywhere on the bottle. And uh, they, they had a few of those types of releases. So I don't think anything John Glazer does is not calculated, right? Like it's, yeah, every, everything's if on anything, He overthinks things, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, everything's it's just by design. funny to me, like the SWA and like they, they portray themselves as the protectors of Scotch whiskey. Well, turn your focus inward and focus on scotch whiskey making good whiskey instead of going after you know the compass boxes or the glenn bretons or the macaloni yeah i think the only way i know right i think the only way that would happen is if brands that are sort of driven more by these principles actually put a dent in their sales that that's the only way that's going to happen because that's not true right now, right? Like there's still the bulk of whiskey that's consumed is not people trying to find bottles of Springbank, right? It's yeah, it, the, the, we're still we're still too much of a niche in that regard to, yeah, to really the, get their attention. And when the SWA is funded by these mega corporations, they're going to protect the mega corporations and their brands. Yeah, I'm not convinced that there's like a plot out there, but I guess I think it's just human nature, 
Hold on, let me. Um, I'm just gonna get my tin hat on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just kidding. But it's yeah. It's it, there's always there's always conspiracy behind any behind money of that of that sort, right? And it's like mm-hmm. I've heard it lots. I've heard it talked about. Like you have, Sean. It's hard to say if it's actually like a, a yeah. lot of these associations get their money from big business. That's just how it usually works. But yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a conspiracy. It's like you said. It's just a, it's about money. Right. And what's making yeah. money is like the, the, the things that are selling like millions of cases a year and that's what they're going to protect. And so it's not, it's not a conspiracy to, to not have <laughs> no. change. It's just a conspiracy to make more money. I heard they yeah. created by COVID. Selling. Yeah. I yeah. Think they, cre- they created COVID so that to drive alcoholism through the roof. So they could yeah. their ambassadors <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, slim unemployment. Yeah. The other question too, I think, I think we all kind of imagine that we want to know like every detail. And I think eventually the transparency in whiskey is going to take other leaps and bounds beyond this. Like, I think there's going to be a time where you can get a vatted single malt. Like, let's say even like, I don't know, like just something like Buna 12 actually sorry let's do Glen Alecky 12 just for Sean's sake where you're going to be able to actually look and see like this these were the 14 casts that went into this batch there was this cast this cast this cast and then tasty note like there might even be tasty notes for each cast that went into it like eventually I think we're going to get to that point someone's going to start pushing that level of information well, you I could, think like we talked to Ardnermerkin and they have the blockchain technology and it like according to um, who we talked to, like it was kind of set up like that. Now it's not exactly like Cask one thirty four and one eighty two, but right. Um, but yeah, there are brands out there like even Kill Home and with some of their special releases when they're you know they're only using eight to ten casks, they'll tell you the dates that those yeah. casts were filled and where they were stored. You know, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We're glad he used to be good at that too, before the Remy sale where often yeah. they would tell you like these casks literally were the ones that were close to a window. And so we batted them together. Sean, like those just, were the... just imagine if you could click on a Glen Alkley product and inside that you could watch a video of Billy Walker romanticizing each tasting note of every cask that went into that product. How, you would probably spend a lot of time on those, wouldn't you? Well, I I definitely want to see his first reaction to stuff that he never made. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Uh, let's not get up to actually. While we're we're on Glenalogy, batch six, um, I haven't tried it yet, but buy buy lots of bottles or just buy one, James? Uh, Unbiased. Um, Well, I feel like if you followed the releases, it, it feels like they've been heading towards a destination with these releases and i feel like batch six is the destination it's cool, cool. man like that's px cool oloroso virgin oak and rioa cast mm-hmm. like that is a that's a i'm not gonna say that's a unique, combination but it is a it is a calculated combination that i think and I'm, I'm excited to crack i've 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 got two bottles already so i am gonna crack one right away but you yeah i guess I th- <laughs> it seems like people i mean i think people are collecting them um but i think people are drinking them which is oh, good yeah, news. I, I plan on drinking mine yeah of course so you know i th- can you wait to batch seven which probably will be here in the fall um you could and i don't think it'll be miles different from batch six but i would say just like what other 10 year old cast drink whiskey are you more excited about i mean yeah maybe tam do you like there are obviously other things out there but 
No, like, you're yeah. in you're in good hands for sure if you get one of those. Well, and, no, I, don't, and, I don't think the risk is very high. <laughs> no, no, no. And the and, the other side of it too, Sean, is they've been responsible with price too, right? Like yeah, and cash strength product. Oh like my that, gosh, I've worked so hard bucks, on that. <laughs> Hundred and ten bucks in the market right now at some stores. That's a that's a steal. Like it's it's yeah. funny that you say that because everybody you know when the dark cloud comes out, especially about Glen Alkey, um, I say like we drank through one to five all in one sitting. And like, there's not very many people that have been able to do that. And like you no. said, it is a journey. You do see from batch one to batch five it's... and now obviously batch six, like they're, they could have just released the same ish stuff year after year and people still would have bought it. But the fact that they are, wanting to do different things like adding the rioa like that's cool to me like yeah i think that's i've never, I've never said any, i've never said anything bad about the cask manager like obviously he's probably one of the best <clears throat> cask managers in the world and when he does you stuff heard like it this, here first sean <laughs> loves billy walker now yeah that's what exactly like, what i heard yeah i heard like, too. yeah fair enough i've gone into the stores on what you know the day that they get the shipping in and seen all the new releases the batch six, the 18 year, and like they're getting rave reviews and oh. yeah, I'll, I'll, I've never been one to turn down a sample. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's possible <laughs> that when they release their peated whiskey, I and I have no idea when that is, even though I see behind the curtains, I, I have no idea when that is that Sean might like it more than Irish whiskey. No, no. No, okay. No, and he'll only, debate that it's not actually yeah, peated somehow but that's, or but that's, something. Yeah, that's only because of preconceived notions. Already unless made, the right? like unless the peat is actually Irish turf, then, yeah, yes. then he might love it. But if they call yeah. it a turf, I'll get I'll get Billy yeah. on the phone and say, "Hey, use some Irish turf in there, and you'll win everybody over." Yeah. <laughs> everybody being you. Uh, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> should we? Uh, should we get into these whiskeys now? Speaking of yeah, whiskeys. yeah, we should. I'm almost We're, done my the, first one. The, the, the Glen Alecky episode, we talked about Compass Fox quite a bit. Now we're doing the. We're just bouncing it out. We're just yeah. bouncing it out. Well, uh, yeah. So let's let's get into these. So we. Oh yeah, this is this is what I've got here. It's yeah. It really James. is cool to be able to put them side by side. For sure, awesome. James was nice enough to send us samples of batch or no name one, no name two. And no name three, which is, this is a side by side. Like we said, is not a lot of people have the capability of doing. Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff was consumed almost right away. Everybody, especially when no name one came out. Like I, I remember specifically the night that that me and my buddy Graham cracked that bottle, and I was just absolutely in love. I thought it was such a stunning blend. Yeah, I think. Um, there, there's a lot of myth in particular around the first one. I think because it came and went. Truthfully, of all the Compass Box releases we've done, No Name One, and in particular in Alberta, was the one that came and, and went kind of as the flash, you know, the biggest flash. Mm -hmm. it, it, I think we were all just a little bit shocked. The word got out that this thing was mostly art bag, and it, you know, it's 16 year old art bag. And there's where can you get 16 year old art bag? And at the time, you know, I will say that my regret about, you know, working on, on the agency side of things, we we didn't really, I don't know if we got the pricing bang on between one and two, and it kind of like jumped up a little bit more than it should have. It did, yeah. That, that, was, that was pretty much that, that, that's our biggest, fault. Yeah. The biggest thing yeah. that I heard. 
Yeah, it, it just, as you guys know, I mean, sometimes you move those sliders one way or another, and it, yeah, it, it kind of slipped through a little bit, but for sure, it should have been closer than it was. But uh, yeah, that kind of turned on this whole conversation about, you know, Compass Box pricing, and a lot of people got it angry about it. it. Was, yeah, that one product really made a lot of people angry. But there was a few expensive products that all came out around the same time, being the Stranger and Stranger was well over 200. The mm-hmm. the Tobias and Angel came out, and that was like a 600. And so it just like perception is kind of what killed it more than anything, I think. Yes, this, this right. is something I've learned with Compass Box is that I think a lot of people, even though the, the ingredients are published, people struggle to kind of process that the price of what's in it and and it's you know assign a value to that mm-hmm. and i i would say that the no name 2 probably if you do that is one of the few compass box releases where it maybe doesn't fully check out but it's still it's still not a bad deal no but most of them when you do the math you realize it's a steal in almost every case like even this, even the stranger and stranger, like that's twenty-two-year-old Gwen Lossie in there. It's one of my favorite compass boxes, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like so. it's it's well priced. Even if that was an indie bottler, I think it would be more expensive than Stranger was. But it's that like that's the thing though. Everything when compass box something new from compass box comes to it gets overanalyzed. The market it gets overanalyzed because it's everything is unknown until they know it, right? Yeah. And so you look at it and you're like, well brand new like why like to most people stranger and stranger is really no different than right than than some of their lower priced options right like the the circle yes. or anything like that yeah, that came out, to right? differentiate them yeah they, they don't it's, a, it's all a blend right exactly they look at yeah. them all and they're like why like why are they wanting so much more for this one it's just it's yeah. same color it looks like right that that's what people you know, it, um there's something about compass box that breaks people's brains in this regard and <laughs> I think when I really noticed it and it occurred to me how it was, there was some sort of psychosis that goes on with this word blend in whiskey was when, was when the myths and legends one and two came out because of course people were very skeptical of that because they're like, I got to buy all three to collect them. Like people hated it. A a certain niche. Myths and legends Mm -hmm. three is like one of my favorite bottles of all time. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a good bottle. I've actually um, haven't tried the first two range. The first two are single malts. Like the first one is a Val Blair single malt and the second one is a Glen Elgin single malt. Yes. But you can still find those. Oh yeah. You can still find them out there if you look carefully. But the thing is, I really noticed it broke people's brains that those two products were single malts and people would refer to them as blends. Even after it was explained to them that it was a single malt and they drank it like it just crossed the wires in people's brains. That, uh, that this was a blend and not a single malt. Like, they couldn't make that work. I always assumed that they were all blends. Right, everybody I does. didn't even look. I didn't even look, honestly. I didn't even yeah. read The only reason I even knew that is I had somebody from out of province be like, these are on the, on the shelves now. Like, I want all three. And I was like, what? You have to collect all three? Same thing, like you just They're said. very different and, from each other, too. And then I looked into it and talked to um, Danny in Calgary, who's yeah. probably the biggest Compass Box fan, and he explained it to me, and I was like, okay, I get it now. And I was like, wait, Compass Box is releasing single malts? Like, that's... that. Yeah. And same thing, like, nobody really got it, but why wouldn't they? Like, <laughs> Right. And to be honest, John did this specifically again to troll us all in the community, right? Like, For sure. Yeah. So the, the Missing Legends one, the idea was, is that he got two parcels of Valblair that specifically tasted almost opposite from each other. 
like that you would never, if you tried them separately, would think they were from the same distillery. And he blended them basically 50-50. Right? So he, he's purposely making a point. What's the age of the Belle Blair? Uh, I think one parcel was 21 or 22 years and the other was 16. So that's like, that's like good Balboa juice. That's yes. not, that's not like yes. new release juice. That's like their, like how they have like the, vintage. the, the limit, the vintage stuff. Yeah. Like, like I always say with compass box, it's like, if you could go into the Balboa warehouse, what would you make? You'd probably make something similar, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely something that happens when people view blended whiskey. And this is what I've kind of figured out that is broken in terms of how blended whiskey is viewed. I think that just intuitively our brains think that blended whiskey is somehow like the leftovers of the whiskey industry and that the single malts are somehow like the golden casks that are chosen and, you know, for these great bottles and that the blends are kind of the leftover products. And I've noticed this idea is, is really prevalent in you know, kind of in all conversations about, about blended whiskey and compass box. Whereas I think probably the more you delve into it, the opposite is more true a little bit because compass box has the ability to be very picky and choosy. Um, and I, I think what probably happens is a lot of the casts that they end up with are, you know, maybe something that like that just doesn't fit you know, the profile that the distillery is looking for. Like I know some of the old Calila that they got, they, they have this parcel. In fact, the last cask of it went into the new Velicor blend that has the, you know, the 25 year old Highland Park in it. And, you know, 20, I think 23 year old McAllen. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but, um, yeah, I haven't. but the point is, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll cause a storm when it's released here. People will freak out, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the point being those those Kalila casks and, you know, the, the final one, which is now like whatever, 36 years old or something like that is, is in this blend. But I believe they were sold to Compass Box because they didn't necessarily fit Diageo's kind of profile or, profile or what they were yeah. looking for. So, but it had nothing to do with the quality of the casks at all. Well, right, it takes so. it takes a master blender or right like blending yeah. team out of compass box to really make something magnificent out of, out of these things and that's like yeah. that's one thing i've really admired about compass box is that like you've got they're they're in this whole kind of alley of their own they're releasing almost like a like not quite to the to the volume of a single cast but it's like a limited edition single cast type shiny products but they're doing it by blending a bunch of other people's yeah makes and other people's spirit which is like yeah. so much more challenging than anyone right. could could ever realize right like an independent bottler if they they release something like a, a lot of them if if it turns out maybe not the way they were hoping with their drinkers they always have they can always fall back on the fact that it's someone else's new make and it's a single cast right yeah, and it's like yeah, it's just a glenrothes that's why it tastes like wet dog right it's like <laughs> right but with compass box they <laughs> can only fall back on where the creation was built kind of thing right like they yes. the pre the pressure is far greater i believe i no i think so too and that's why it always amazes me that people almost assume that compass box is like somehow pulling the wool over our eyes and selling us like inferior product in, in like some sort of fancy package and that we're like oh it's shiny well, <laughs> like, I, think the, I think the opposite is much more true right that you're right they they're under way more scrutiny Absolutely. i think um 
I think something that helped me kind of understand how this process works too, and is that really the process of this is not that different from blending a single malt. Like the, uh, I always remember this this analogy that you know my predecessor Jay gave, where you know he always talked about how single malts are blends, and you know he loved to. He always thought that Highland Park 30 and McAllen 30 blended together were better than individually. Jay Wheelock. Codrat yeah, yeah, Jay Wheelock. Yeah, yeah, of course. So one of the, he had this analogy that, you know, if, let's say what well, you just said, Glenn Roth. So let's say that just as an experiment, we put Sean in a room and in that room was 50 casks of Glenn Rothis, and we gave him a bottle of the 12 year old and said, you have to like duplicate this with what's in front of you. And you have to use at least 50% of the casks to get there. And on the other side of the room was 50 identical casks of Glenn Rothis, but then say two casks of Craig Ellicke. But the, but the Glenn Rothis casks were the same. Now, if you think about at the end of that, like if Sean or Steven, if you guys could choose Sean Kincaid's whiskeys that he made. Let's say he was responsible for both of them. Which one? God, would you, I hope would he never makes for? whiskey. But, <laughs> <laughs> but which which one would you reach for? You'd reach for the one with the Craig Elegy in it. Yeah, I, I think most. I we think would. almost. I think almost one hundred percent of whiskey enthusiasts mm -hmm. and probably Comus Box customers would reach intuitively for the one that had the Craig Elegy in it also. But yet the way that whiskey is often viewed in terms of like single malt versus blend, mm -hmm. you know, we would in the market, in the real world, in the store, we would never reach for that ever. No, you'd always reach for the Glen Rothis single malt. Do you think right? that but really how those have been created is, is a very, like, there's no difference. Pretty, yeah, no, yeah. pretty similar. And there's definitely like, there is some incredible skill, like Oak, Oak does different things with, like every barrel does different things with spirit right so to yeah. get to get that consistency is definitely not easy but does, this, this is my question so when when glazer has an idea though he's probably i i imagine he's got the idea for a profile and then they go out and they search the whiskey to to match that profile that he's kind of dreaming up which yeah i, think I find that's more does it work both ways because that would yes. be so much more challenging than having liquid proof of the profile you're trying to achieve right. and blending to achieve it the other way like you're basically out of thin air you're trying to pull malts and, and distill it together to try and create see right? i think i think that is like from my perspective anyway it's like what makes compass box more like amazing is in my mind anyways they just start from nothing yes. it's like okay let's create something out of what we have and we can do anything we want. And if we don't like this, that's fine. We don't have to put that in there. We can put something else in there. And we can, you know, I think the the freedom to create a product is so much more greater than it is with any single malt that exists because they have they have single malts from from everywhere. And then they even have just blends that they've created that they can throw in their other blends. And mm -hmm. so that's what yeah, I, they do keep some of them sometimes. Yeah. Like that's what I find so amazing about compass box yeah. is just, it's like that new, that new release canvas or whatever. Like that's what I think of. Like they just start with a blank canvas and then they just have the freedom to create, which I think is amazing. Yeah. They're artists. I, they're complete artists. Yeah. Like it, I know for a fact that the way the, the creation process works depends on the release. 
so you're right sometimes they do you know have an idea first and they go to the whiskey to try to to try to get there but i think it's more common that it works the other way i think it's more common that they come across a parcel that grabs their attention and then that that parcel spurs the imagination so a good example of that probably um, is the story of the spaniard which that's amazing (laughs) We're just cleansing your palate. Sorry, no, 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 no. Just, He's barehanded a bottle of Art Bank to compare to No Name One. <laughs> I didn't have another glass. Just unprovoked. <laughs> yeah. You know, I imagine, Steve, that when you're changing diapers, you do that too. Yeah. You just like, you have a wipe in one hand and a bottle of Art Bank in the other. Yeah. No, I, that doesn't yeah. sound so bad. No, it's it's not. It makes the last diaper you change of the day far more interesting, that's for sure. Well, and it kills the smell of the diaper. It, well, our bagel kill the smell of almost anything. But so. if you if you continued that, then you would eventually associate our bag with shit smell and you don't want that. So you no, have to mix it up. Or, you can't do our bag every time, is what I'm saying. You got to Or my it son up. would just end up covered in our bag and pissing on himself. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that either. <laughs> well, if you're doing that every diaper change, one of you is going to piss his ass. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you with that. I was just like... I, had I don't this, even remember where I, where I was Yeah, now. I know. I had this thought in my mind as I took like close to my last sip and I was like, fuck, I really want to you, compare you, this side by side. I didn't have glass in front of me. I pulled it off the shelf and there yeah. I am. There you were I saying well, that the, the one parcel comes across that inspires... The oh, right. The so, yeah, 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 of course. So the, the, the release I'm thinking of in this case is is Spaniard, where they came across this Tiananic that was aged in red wine. And I think it kind of was like, we got to do something with this. And it, it kind of worked its way into this idea they had of, of creating, you know, a sherried whiskey. Because I don't think Compass Box ever wanted to just say, like, here's a sherry bomb. Like, they wanted to do something different. And that's how the Spaniard came about was because now you've created something where you've got this Spanish red wine and the Spanish sherry and they work together. Like that's something new. That's something that doesn't exist. And that's, that's like, so compass box, that type yeah. of thought process. And that Spaniard is such a good bottle. I love oh, when it's a the steel. Spaniard came out. Oh my God. I, I couldn't believe when I heard it was coming out, I had no idea what price it was. And when I remember I went into Chateau to go see Adam mm-hmm. and I was like, did you get the Spaniard in? And I went, walked to the aisle and it was like $80. Or whatever. Yeah, it's less than that now. Like it's or like, 70, yeah. whatever it was, right? And I was like, if you get it on you... sale, you'll get it for less than that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I was like, are you absolutely kidding me? Like, and then you try it and it's, it definitely drinks like a much more expensive. It's such much a good more model. expensive. Yeah. That, I think, like, even when we talk about, like, you know, they release, the Compass Box has releases for every price point. I think that's a general consensus that I find with everything is that yeah. drinks. At, to a higher price point than you're paying yeah. like yeah, for it's me true. almost everything they release yeah for me like i even go back to like the uh great king street like both of them but when somebody that's newer into whiskey you know maybe not into peat at all and they just want to dip their toe they're like what's a good um peat to you know a bottle to get some peat and i always point them to the glasgow edition because mm-hmm it's got that sherry influence on it and it's fairly young. The peat's still like fairly strong in it, but it's so balanced that it gives you the taste of the peat and gives you the essence of it, but it's not going to blow your brains like an Octomore. Like um, nobody wants an Octomore as their first peat. Well, I mean, some people do, but. <laughs> It'll let you know. It'll let you know if you yeah. want to be in it or not. 
Oh, but yeah. like just that one bottle and it was like it was like fifty two dollars the first couple yeah. that I bought. And then obviously like there's store exclusive ones that are a little bit more, but even those like were not super pricey. Like they were priced well and they're they're amazing blends that are balanced. You know, you can go with like like you said, the Spaniard where it is basically a wine and cherry bomb. Or you know the spice tree where you're going for the the spiciness aspect of the balance different spices. Yeah, but like the Great King Street for an entry level release, like it still is one of the ones that I will point people to because a if they don't like peat, they're only out fifty bucks, mm-hmm. and and you know somebody will buy that bottle off them for fifty bucks or forty bucks or whatever, and they're not going to be out because it's a damn good whiskey. I think um, I think the common denominator with all these compass box whiskeys is it's rare that you would have a compass box bottle and think like this is missing the the aromatic side, this is missing the body, this is missing the finish. They're always really harmonious. And again, I mean that's the point of blending, right? And they're they're achieving what in theory should be the point, which is you know creating something that's you know greater than the sum of its parts. Obviously, is a cliche. But even if it's not necessarily greater than the sum of its parts, it's at least more harmonious than the sum of its parts. And that, you know, they're achieving that really consistently. Yeah, and like to that point, when you when you go and look at it at a fact sheet and see the wheel, the flavor wheel, and there's some that, you know, there's ten or twelve percent of something, and you can pick that out. It's not it's not used as a filler. Uh, yeah. I would say these no names. The these no names of all the whiskeys. In fact, the four whiskeys we have here, the no names, and obviously we're going to get to a bonus one at the end. Something that is unique about this that's not true of all compass boxes, but these these ones in particular, these no names, you can read the ingredient list. Which, by the way, all the ingredients are published on their website, like mm-hmm. ages, distilleries, everything. You can really pick out the individual ingredients more easily in this lineup than probably a lot of their other whiskeys. It's it's very clear the Ardbeg in number one, and it's very clear the Sherry Kalila in number two. Mm-hmm. And that kind of juxtaposition between the, you know, the smoky Lafroig and the tropical Beaumont, like it's crystal clear when you drink No Name 3. Those two components like sit, they're harmonious and they're blended well together, but they he's done something new, right? Like it doesn't really taste like anything else I've ever had. No. If he was, if he was a little bit smarter, he probably would have started with the Coila and went to the yard bag. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I it think was, right, they were like, planning this to be a series, by the way. No, yeah, for sure. But it was like I think that was probably part of the letdown when it was like, man, yard bag and this no name one and then no name two came out and it was like, oh, just yeah. not that Coila doesn't make some like amazing single malts, mm-hmm. but at the same time. The, that cult kind of um, yes well, people know him right? one just because it was art baked like even if it had been a terrible whiskey some people still would have died on a sword for it absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah and, and we saw a lot of that for That's sure and it's it could, you yeah. can taste people, the art bag in it like i just oh, of course i just swig that cory brecken and it's almost it they're actually yeah very, very similar, similar profiles very yep. similar no yeah, the cory brecken is, is probably the closest the brecken. yeah oh I think. Oh, just drop it. No, the, the no name has um the no name is less abrasive 
which I like, right? Yes. Which because Ardbeg, I think, has a tendency to be a little bit abrasive. To me. Well, okay. So it's funny you say that because when the No Name Two was released and people were like hypercritical of it, and the the first thing I thought when I tried it is No Name Two is a classic Compass Box whiskey. Like it feels very thoughtfully constructed. It's incredibly harmonious. It doesn't shout. It's like the the aromas, the body, the finish, everything is like perfectly rounded. And No Name One wasn't. This bottle, I will say, I think it's a touch, you know, it's been open for a it's, while and it's, it's, it's come into shape, but it, it is edgy, which is not how I describe a Compass Box whiskey. Typically. No, Compass Box is the, like everything they release is as like, it's not offensive whatsoever. There's nothing Never. offensive about anything that they release. No, Never. no. Like the only people they're offending is the, is the, the traditionalists and the well, and, and there's haters <laughs> right? like, too, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I think I, I directed you guys towards the whiskey-based reviews of Tobias and Angel because it is amazing the vitriol that that whiskey got. Which, I mean, all that whiskey is—it's a parcel of thirty-five-year-old Kalila and a parcel of twenty-five-year-old Klein Leach. Like, mm-hmm. what what can go wrong? Nothing. No, nothing. Those are two nothing. beautiful malts. And I think it was about six hundred dollars in Alberta. It was which gorgeous. first I I how could you argue that's a bad price for that? It's not, I don't know. but it's six hundred dollars for a blend that doesn't have Johnny Walker Bingo. on it, right? Bingo. Uh, yeah. I was yeah. gonna say like that, yeah, that. But you get if you took those apart from a blend, had them themselves, you're paying way more than six hundred dollars for either one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. If there was a Diageo yeah. Calila thirty-five, what would the price be? Well, the thirty-year cast strength costs seven fifty. I know that for a fact. So a 35 year, you're probably 1200, 1250, and I mean that's 750. Yeah, and should be even more. Yeah, that's seven. That's 750 for the 30. That was what two over two years ago, two and a half years ago. If they put it in their annual limited malts release, then it's now five thousand instead of 2500. Yeah, throw a great a a big cartoon blue whale on it, and people (laughs) go crazy for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's I like that artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like all the fancy artwork. I love it. I, I, all I, the ridiculous I, gimmicks. I like it. I like it too yeah. because I think it's it's the w- willingness to be bold. I, I respect all that. Right. Like can you imagine the whiskey landscape without comma spots? Like no. this week on Lost in Translation. This episode was so exciting we had to split it into two. So join us next week for the exciting conclusion of Compass Box.